Good evening, everybody. Uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Glorious Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this time you have blessed us with. There is life in the word of God. The word of God can transform us, can make us more like you, O oh God. Speak to us, O oh Lord, as we study from the word of God. Fill us with your spirit. Minister to us at the point of our need. Give us the grace and also, Lord, the courage to do what the word of God says. Spirit of God, I pray you take complete control of the session and minister to each one of us. And let the word of God produce 30, 60, and 100-fold harvest for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> We are uh, into the last uh, portion of chapter one. And uh, chapter one is basically about, uh, we saw that obedience to the word is the mark of genuine Christianity. Obedience to the word is the mark of genuine Christianity. It is not just knowing the word, but obeying the word. In verse 21, last Wednesday, we saw that, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And in verse 22, James says, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Pay careful attention to what the word says. Pay careful attention to what the word says. How do we do that? We do that by studying it, not just by reading it, by studying it, understanding it. And that's not enough only if you understand. We have to meditate on it. Uh, and we have to ponder its meaning and application. Uh, if you only read and if it doesn't apply to us, it's of no use. But we have to study, meditate, and apply the word to our lives. That's why James says, do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive, don't so deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself. Do what it says. In other words, what James says is Christians should take an active role in both hearing and doing. It's not enough only if we hear the word of God. We can keep on listening to the word of God. But if we don't do it, we are just deceiving ourselves. Uh, so we should take care. It's important we listen. It's important we study. It is important we meditate, uh, ponder over it, and apply it. That, that's the reason Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight. Jesus replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. These are the words from our Lord Jesus. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God 
and obey it because those who merely listen to the word deceive themselves imagine we are just fooling ourselves as children of god we can fool ourselves and james says don't fool yourself don't deceive yourselves do what it says you know the word of god needs to be obeyed by the child of god if we are children of god we need to obey the word of god and the word of god has been planted in us it is there the word is there we have been saved because of the word we all have been saved because of the word that has been planted in us but just because it has been planted it doesn't mean that we just sit quiet sometimes people say that you don't have to do anything you know it will it will grow automatically uh, the bible doesn't say like that though the word of god is planted in us the bible clearly says the word of god is like a seed what do we do once we sow a seed we have to water it we have to put fertilizer we have to keep it out of reach of wild animals we have to take care then only we can have a plant then only we can have some fruits so if we just say i have planted the seed and if we don't take care it's of no use so the word of god is like that it is not that the word of god has been planted in us we have been saved because of the word of god what we need to do is you know this word of god will not grow automatically so we have to take all that a farmer will do we have to take an active part we have to do what it says that's what james says do what it says that's important yes it is good we listen to the word of god but merely listening to the word is as foolish as not listening just listening to the word of god will not change us uh we have to change we have to do and james is explaining this uh with a picture from everyday life it's a it's a very practical illustration and it's a beautiful illustration he says how we should approach the word of god james is not only saying do what it says he is also telling us how we should do that it is like james says how we approach a mirror uh whenever we look at the word it is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror uh so when we look at the mirror it is not it's okay we saw a image but what is more important is the action that we take as a result of that look uh it is important and that's what james is telling us you know do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself do what it says and he is giving us a practical illustration he says anyone who listens to the word of god but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like why do we use mirrors because 
they show us a problem. If there is a problem, it shows us so that we can take immediate action. So the person who looks in the mirror and the person who looks into God's word are capable of two different responses. When we look into the mirror and we can just ignore what we see in the mirror, we can also take some action. Uh, for example, I see some toothpaste on my face. I can just ignore it. But I'm sure most of us will not ignore it. That's why we are standing in front of the mirror. And James says, that's what, that's what should happen when you read the word of God. If you don't take action, it is something like, uh, in verse 24, he says, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Uh, you know, when we read the word of God and when we forget, it is like the man who looks at his face in a mirror and just goes away, walks away. Uh, that's what James is saying. The key failure of the hearer only is forgetting. We read the word of God and we forget. Uh, how often we remember what we have read in the morning? How often do we recollect? How often do we pray over it? How often we meditate over it? How often we try to apply it in our own life? If How often we remember what we read in the morning? In the morning devotion, we read something. By night, are we able to recollect? Or we tend to forget? You know, in, in Numbers 15.39 says, you will have these tassels to look at what is the reason. So you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. You will remember. You know, the very dress that you're wearing you will have these tassels. You know, that very dress that you wear should remind you of the commands of the Lord. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.12 says, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You know, this is a word for us, for the New Testament Christ Christians. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of sin, out of darkness, out of the land of slavery. Once you were enslaved by sin and now you are children of light. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord. It is not only for the Israelites. Their captivity is a pictorial depiction of our enslavement to sin. We were slaves. We were enslaved. And Jesus Christ, he released us. He brought us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. So this, so be careful that you do not 
forget the Lord. We need to remember God. We need to remember what he has done for us. He came all the way from heaven to this earth. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He came and dwelt amongst us. He came and lived our life and took the punishment that is ours, died on the cross, shed his blood, his body was broken, and on the third day he rose again. You know, we have to remember, we have to contemplate, we have to keep thinking, pondering, and it is, is it easy that we'll be able to comprehend this truth? No, but that's what we should keep doing. That's what, you know, in Ephesians, Paul says, Open, you know, let their eyes be enlightened that they may know you more and more. We need to know God more and more. We need to keep thinking till it makes a lasting impression in our hearts and in our minds. That's why in Colossians 3, uh, Paul writes, uh, since then you have been uh, raised with Jesus Christ, uh, set your hearts on things above. Set your hearts. Heart will not, um, you know, look to the things above. Set your heart. You tune your hearts to the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. The verse 2 says, set your minds on things above, not on worldly things. So we have to constantly set you know, like a radio we used to tune, if you remember those days, olden days, you know, you have to keep tuning. Sometimes you tune and then all of a sudden, then there is some noise and then you try to fine tune that radio. Like that, our mind has to be fine tuned so that our eyes are fixed on God. Our hearts are set above, our minds are set above. Otherwise, it is just like a person who just reads the word. He just reads because today, this is my reading portion. I have to read uh, and not imprinting the message of this. You know, it doesn't bring about any change. Sometimes people come with uh, you know, very um, interesting reading plan. Uh, you know, it, sometimes it looks like Yes, we should be a part of it. Uh, I remember, you know, one of the reading plan I joined is you have to do seven chapters a day. Then so that you finish the New Testament, so many people across the world are doing it. You can be part of that. Uh, I went through that. I, I read, I finished. But at the end of the day, it has not made uh, much impact on me. So we should not get into this competition of reading more chapters what we should do is we should read whatever little portion we have take time think study ponder and apply uh, i have heard people saying that uh, we have finished reading the bible 65 times uh, but how many times has the bible read you you have read it 65 times but how many times has the Bible read you? You know, James' point is 
the same thing. When you read, you know, as you see in the mirror, whether there's any marks on your face, some food particles on your cheeks, or whether the toothpaste, some marks are there, it should have the same effect on us when we read the word of God. Because like a mirror, God's word shows us what we are really like. It's not about others. We don't read God's word for others. Sometimes our very devotional is focused on what we can tell others, what we can share with others. No, primarily the God's word should speak to us. It should show us. God should, God's word should challenge us. It should provoke us. It should confront us. Otherwise, we are not reading the word of God. We are not looking into the mirror to see, is there something wrong? You know, whether I have to comb my hair, something I have to dress properly. Same way, every day when we read the word of God, we have to see ourselves in the word of God. Uh, that's why God's word shows us what we are really like. Sometimes we don't know. We tend to think we are too good. We tend to think we are all, everything is fine with us. It is God's word which shows us the true shape. You know, whenever you read your Bible, one of the things that happens is that it shows you, you. When you read the Bible, it shows you, you. Like as we stand in front of the mirror and we see our image, the word of God should do that work. Otherwise, we have not uh, read the Bible. Now, what we do once when we are standing in front of the mirror and I see some patches of toothpaste all across my face, what will be my response? I'll immediately wash my face. So similarly, if God's word does not have an impact on me, I'm missing the point of reading it. So we are doing all our devotional good. We are reading our Bible every day. It's good. We have been doing it. But James is challenging us, encouraging us, that as we look at our face in a mirror, the word of God should show us. It should show us. Uh, you know, years ago, as we were reading the Bible, uh, you know, somebody came and said that, um, you know, as, I, as I've been reading the book of Proverbs, uh, every time I've been reading, you know, wicked person is not me, somebody else. But when I put myself in that place, and when I saw myself as a wicked person, the word of God took a new turn. So we can read the Bible altogether disconnected. And we can also read it. The word of God shows us, shows me, me. And only the word of God, like it's a, it's like a, a scan, 
uh, it shows entirely what's inside. Uh, MRI scan, it shows your inner system. The word of God shows our inner heart condition. And we should see our inner heart condition when we read the word of God. That is James' point in telling this. Now, he has not only said that we should obey. Now, what is the motivation for obedience? Obedience is difficult. So James is telling us, what is the motivation for obedience? Because obedience is difficult. You tell your child, don't do this, do this. It is difficult for the child. Allow the child to do what it wants, no problem. But the moment you say, you do this, then the child feels you know, as though its freedom is being uh, curtailed. But James says, what is the motivation for our obedience? He says in next verse, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. They will be blessed in what they do. James is not telling us you obey God's word and you will reap the blessings you know, in the future. After you die, you will reap the blessings in heaven. No, James is not telling us. What James is telling us is, you know, they will be blessed in what they do. Today, if I obey, I'll be blessed. The blessings is not being carried forward. They will be blessed in what they do. If I just obey the word of God and I do it, I'll be blessed. Now, I don't know what shape the blessings will uh, take. I don't know. But I'm sure if I obey God, I'll be blessed. I don't have to keep even anticipating where are my blessings. My blessings has already come. It will keep coming. They'll be blessed in what they do. Uh, what does this mean? You know, James is not just writing a disjointed letter. It is a very well thought out, uh, meaningful letter. You know, James describes God's word in a number of ways. If you have read chapter one carefully, he first he says it's the word of truth. The word of truth which gives us new birth. That's what we saw in verse 18. It is the word of God. We have been saved by the word. Salvation. We have been saved by the word of God. And that is the word of truth. And this word is planted in us. It is there in the heart. That's why we say the good work that he has begun, he'll bring it to completion. And Paul also takes care to say, work out your salvation. Yes, salvation is free. And then he says, work out your salvation. In another word, uh, in, another, uh, in other words, what Paul says is, the word has been planted in you. Please water it. Please fertilize it. Please take care of it. Then you will have 30, 60, 100 fold harvest there'll be a supernatural harvest. The word, has, the word is there. What are you doing with that word? That's what Paul said. That's what James is saying. The word has been planted in us. And then he says, 
whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom you know god's word is perfect there's no doubt about it it's perfect if at all something is perfect it is god's word uh, we can we can say something with all our good intentions but then despite that it can never be perfect god alone because god is perfect his words are also perfect and god knows what we need so we have to obey what god says and when we obey that paul says, james says it gives freedom now he says who's whoever looks intently into the perfect law intently into the perfect law you know whoever he is describing somebody who is a doer of the word what does the doer doer do he says he looks intently looks carefully at he investigates you know you don't go to your crime scene and you just walk out just looking at one or two things you take care minutely if you have seen how they uh, do the investigations you when you see how the crime scene or for that matter how your blood report is being analyzed in a lab they look carefully uh, you know they try to see everything it's like that we need to look at god's word intently carefully we need to take time if we don't have time with god then to expect god to work in us the means that god has provided for us is this word and if we are not if we are going to neglect this means then who can help us that is the means if you if you if you want to find blessings happiness joy peace it's the word of god and that is the means and if we don't take time to study if we don't time take time to look intently carefully investigate every time you read and try to when you see something new when the word of god speaks then you sit and wonder why didn't i see this earlier you know there's so much in the word of god uh there is so much you know there's there's a treasure house uh only thing we have to uh you know look for the treasure so who looks intently the greek word basically is you have to bend over carefully examine you know something is fallen and you carefully bend over you know if it's a piece of gold imagine it's a piece of diamond you know you bend over you see oh this whether this is the diamond piece or not that is the way we have to read the word of god study the word of god we have to read not for our knowledge not just for information of course it is information but it is much more than that you know we can read the word of god just to show how knowledgeable we are no that will only make us very arrogant and proud uh bible reading we should be very careful in fact spiritual life itself we should be very careful if it doesn't make us humble the very purpose of reading the word of god is lost and every time we look into the word of god it humbles us
when we find the meaning, it humbles us. And it is not enough we do it in one day. We have to continue in it. It is not one day we do and leave it. All through our life, we have to continue in it. <coughs> not forgetting. That's important. You know, not a hearer of forgetfulness, but a doer of work. We should not forget. Not we read today and we forget tomorrow. No, we should keep remembering. We should do that. Is it hard work? Of course it's hard work. Anything meaningful and long-lasting is hard work. Nothing comes easily. So we have to work hard with the word of God. And the advantage, the, the motivation is they will be blessed in what they do. You know, we ask God, bless me, bless me, bless me. God says, you do this, you will be blessed. We don't even have to ask God, bless me. God says, you look into my word carefully and continue studying the word of God. Don't forget. Continue doing it. You will be blessed. You don't even have to ask me to bless you. You will be blessed because that's the means I have appointed for you. And you will be blessed when you put the law into practice. Uh, we all know this verse uh, by heart, uh, Joshua 1.8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Uh, people who talk about prosperity and all, they don't tell us that you know, we are supposed to keep the book of the law always on our lips, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. James is writing the very same thing, nothing different. The Bible from end to beginning, it's not that in the New Testament we have got altogether new instructions, not at all. From Genesis, if you read, it is the same thing which is being said in different ways. You know, God's goodness and mercy, they are ours. Surely, his loving kindness and mercy shall pursue you all the days of your life. We like those promises, blessing. But those blessings will come when we keep this book of the law always on our lips. Uh, that person will be blessed because he has been a doer. James' insistence is, you know, you're going through tough time, you're undergoing persecution, some of you don't have um, even food to eat, you're poor, you're struggling, but remember to do this. Read the word of God, meditate on it, do what it says, then you will be a blessed person. Now, sometimes Christians uh, find it difficult. Um, you know, we saw in that verse, it says that, uh, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that gives freedom. Now, especially if you have teenage children, uh, teenage children will come and tell you that, you know, Christianity is quite restrictive. 
there is no freedom. How do you say there is freedom? Look at my friends. They can do whatever they want. I'm sure uh, parents, you have heard uh, these kind of comments. Uh, where is the freedom? Because James says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. How do you say there is freedom? You know, in Bible, there is no freedom. There's full of restrictions. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. You know, when you teach your children, then they say that, you know, I sometimes children will say, why well, I wish I had not been born in a Christian family because you're putting too many uh, restrictions. Now, that is to understand, that shows that we have not understood the freedom in the right uh, sense. Now, real freedom does not mean there are no constraints or no uh, boundaries around you. Uh, let me give you an example. Suppose uh, you, you take a fish, you remove a fish from water and you take it out from the water that does not give it, uh, surely it, it has got more freedom. It's outside the water, but it can't live longer because it has not been created to live outside the water. Now, the fish may grumble that, you know, all through my life, I have to be in this water. So if we take that fish out and we say, we'll give this fish a little bit of freedom and we take it outside the water, that is not freedom. It cannot live because it has been designed. It has been created to live inside the water. Similarly, when we are talking about freedom, you know, we have been designed to live in a certain way. And when we remove those boundaries, they don't give us freedom. Like the fish will die in few hours or whatever it is, the fish may die once we take it outside from the water. Same way when we remove those boundaries, we are just destroying ourselves. So freedom has to be understood. What's meant by freedom? Freedom does not mean you have no restrictions. Freedom, uh, those constraints, those boundaries have been kept for our good, for our welfare. We have to explain it to our children. Uh, freedom is not you do whatever you feel like. Freedom is living within the confines of the space where we have been designed to live, flourish, and prosper. If you remove those boundaries, we are destroying ourselves. Sin is self-destructive. When we commit sin, we are just destroying ourselves. Sin is self-destructive. We are not supposed, we are not being designed to live in sin. Like a fish cannot live outside the water, we are not supposed, we have not been created to live in sin. Sin will kill us. So we need to understand that. So it is only when we obey God's word 
as we live by God's word, we experience true life. There is a divine life that is imparted to us. You know, you have been saved by the word of truth. That word has been planted. And that life we can enjoy only when we obey the word of God. And when we do that, we realize, you know, we have been designed to live altogether a different kind of life. We are not, we are not here to live like unsaved people. We are all competing to have a life like theirs. But as children of God, we have been designed to create, live altogether a higher order of life. I'm not saying that we become very superior, but as children of God, we are designed to live a higher order. You know, when we talk about plant and animal, they're altogether a different order. And when we talk about animal and uh, human being, we are different order, the reality. And when the word of God comes into us and starts uh, taking root, we are taken to a higher order, a higher order of not making us superior to others, understanding the reality in a better way. We understand the reality why we are here, the purpose, you know, what God is doing in our life, what God has kept for us. We understand that. That's why it's important. Uh, we, understand, we obey the word of God and we don't resent the word of God. That's the reason David says in Psalm 19:8, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. It gives light to the eyes. It brightens. It shows us the way. Uh, God's commands are given purely out of love for us. Purely. God loves us. You tell your child, don't touch the gas stove, out of love. Same way God's commands are given purely out of love for us. And God's words are meant to prosper us. You know, it, it it is, it will ensure that we flourish. God's goal for human being is to flourish, prosper, be joyful, be contented, be at peace. That is God's design for human beings. And that will come when we uh, obey the word of God. None of the commands, they work against us. They may work against our self-interest but they will never work against our, us, our good. None of the Lord's, none of the commands in the Bible will ever work against us if you follow it. Because we are, sometimes we are so much um, carried away by our own selfish interest, self-centeredness. We think if I do this, I'll be a loser. We will never be a loser if you follow, obey the word of God. So now James is, um, he's a practical pastor. 
And not only he said the motivation for obedience, now he says, what is the evidence that you're obeying? Um, you know, the evidence is, James says, if you're obeying God's word, it should be transformational. It should transform you. Uh, there should be a change. There should be a change. You should, it's, it's, it's something organic. When a seed is planted, you know, it just starts growing on its own. Uh, you don't put a stone and start pouring water. It will not grow because it has no life. But the word of God has life. So because it has life, because it has been planted in us, how do I know it is growing? It has to transform us. Following God's word changes us. Certain things have to happen. If a seed is sprouting, it should be evident. Same way, obedience will mark, make a difference in our lives. And he gives some examples. He says, the presence or absence of these changes indicates whether or not we practice what James calls true religion, true faith, genuine faith. If you see these changes, James says, there definitely the word of God is, uh, is changing you, is transforming you. So he begins with the negative before he moves to the positive. So he says that uh, those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Uh, James is progressively building his case. It is not a disjointed letter, carefully thought of uh, letter. James is writing a pastoral letter with deep understanding and wisdom. He is writing that letter. Um, you know, how to respond to trials, temptations, word. And then he says, you know, in verse 21, he said, accept the word. In verse 22, he says, do the word. In verse 25, he says, do the law. Now, he says, if you have accepted the word, if you do the word, if you do the law, then what will happen? What should happen? What should be evident? What should be seen? He says, there'll be a tight rein on the tongue. That's the first thing he says. There'll be a tight rein on the tongue. The second thing he says, there'll be concern for the helpless. You can't say, I'm religious and ignore the orphans and widows. And then the third thing he says, we should not be worldly. That's what he says. If you are obeying the word of God, if the word of God has been planted in us, it is taking deep root and it is growing, then he says, there'll be a tight rain on the tongue. There'll be concern for the help, orphans and widows, and we will not be worldly. These are the things he's going to explain in the rest of the book, in the rest of the chapters. You know, 
he's going to explain in more uh, detail. Uh, he says, if we think we are spiritual, if I think I'm spiritual, I need to ask myself whether I'm able to control my tongue, whether I'm able to reach out the needy people. Can I, am I ready to help them? Uh, is my worldview different from others or it is the same? These are the questions I need to ask. If I'm growing in my spiritual life, these are the questions I need to ask and I need to evaluate myself. So the first test, he says, uh, keeping a tight rein on the tongue. In other words, the words are very important. Uh, what you say, you should mean it. The, the culture will teach us you need to get your things done. So you use your tongue to get the things done. But the Bible doesn't say that you use your tongue to get the things done. The Bible says if you say something, you should mean it. Let your yes be yes and no be no. And in fact, um, you know, the word that is used, the Greek word, you know, it's a Greek word, matios, that is he's using uh, basically to say that, uh, you know, those who consider themselves and yet do not keep a tight rein on the tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless the word worthless the greek word that is used is almost uh, it refers to idolatry too often we think we are not idolatrous people uh, we may not have some statues at home but james says if you are not keeping a tight rein on the tongue you are as idolatrous as someone who is worshiping the idols uh, the religion of the people who do not control their speech is no better than idolatry. Their religion is vain. Their religion is meaningless. Uh, you know, James has already told us, if you only listen to the word of God and do nothing more, we deceive ourselves. Now he says, if you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, you deceive yourselves. Uh, those who, verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless, useless. Their faith is useless. Uh, if you are not uh, controlling our speech, it is a sign that we are not actually following God. We cannot say we are following God and speak whatever we feel like. Uh, we need to keep our words in check. Uh, if we keep, if we find ourselves to be saying things that are destructive, are untrue, we talked about gossip last Wednesday. Uh, the, because of our words, we get into trouble. Uh, we wish we had never said, and it happens quite often, that means we have not yet been converted. We have to grow. We have to improve. It's not going to happen in one day, but if this is repeatedly happening to us, 
that means we need to sit and we need to ask God for help uh, to keep a tight rein on our tongue. Uh, James expects the believers, Christians, to have a tight control over the tongue, keeping a tight rein on the tongue. Uh, we should not gossip. We should not lie. That's what Paul says in Colossians 3, 8 to 9. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. He is writing to people who have accepted Jesus Christ. It is not for unbelievers, to believers. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with his practices. Now, what is true religion? James says, what is pure religion? Uh, James comes to the positive. Negative, he said, keep a tight rein on your tongue. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You know, uh, we should be careful in reading these verses. It doesn't mean that what we do uh, decides our faith or our spirituality. It's not that. You know, Calvin has put it rightly. He said, James does not define generally what religion is, but reminds us that religion with all the things he mentions is nothing. They should be part of our religious life, of our spiritual life. It is not the only thing. If you only help orphans and widows, that means we are completely religious. No, it is only a part of it. So we should be careful. So the second test is, the first test is keeping a tight rein on our tongue. The second test is looking after orphans and widows. It's nothing new. Old Testament is filled with these instructions. In James' days, widows and orphans, they were just vulnerable. They were miserable. They had no income. Uh, their lives were so, so pathetic. So it's the same in the Old Testament days also. Uh, they led a very, very miserable life. Uh, so uh, that's why in the ancient world, with an absence of money-making possibilities for women and any kind of social welfare, widows and orphans were helpless to provide for themselves. Even in 50s and 60s, uh, 1950, 1960s, 1970s, very few women uh, went out to work right in, in our own country. Uh, what's happening now is different. So you can imagine thousands of years ago, their plight was very miserable. That's why we have those instructions in the Old Testament. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. Uh, Deuteronomy 14, 28, 29. At the end of every three years, Bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. These are the verses which form basis for our church, Amazing Grace Age Church. So these are the verses on what basis we form our financial uh, policies. These are the verses. You should have the ministry of the word. Uh, you should have the ministry of worship. You have the ministry for the poor. 
that's the reason we have basket club and all because this is we have been commanded to help the underprivileged the poor people and that's what we are trying to do that <coughs> now james said religion that god our father now why does james use the phrase god our father anyone can quickly answer this question unmute yourself and answer why does james use the phrase god our father in verse 27 he says religion that god our father accepts as pure and faultless is this why the phrase god our father please unmute and just answer uh, this is madhuya um, he he calls um, god our father because number 1 he created us and uh, number 2 he takes care of us um he takes care of us like we all know and we trust in him completely because you know we know that he's the almighty god and um apart from the biological father he is our father because he created us first in our womb and he is the one who um has um told us uh, who knows our future it is he who has uh, you know um like the future has been set for us he's the one who's done everything he knows it all and uh, because uh, we completely depend on him whatever we have today he is providing us the refuge and uh, he has uh, like whatever we have today is because of him like the father gives uh, his son whatever we inherit okay similarly our inheritance is in him we inherit uh, when we come to christ whatever is there we inherit from him so that is why he is our father all the um, the reasons you gave is uh, right but could it be that james is specifically using this phrase god our father because what we have in uh, psalm 68:5 your father to the fatherless your defender of widows is god in his holy dwelling could it be that yeah. you know james is uh, you know is well versed with the old testament and so when he's asking us you know he's saying to look after orphans and widows before that he says that religion that god our father accepts as pure and faultless is this uh, probably because you know this is the verse that is in his mind your father to the fatherless a defender of widows he is god our uh, father so the one of the test of how true our religion is to what extent we are ready to help the helpless in our world whether they be widows orphans and uh, you know we support our cancer affected children so or immigrants uh, you know god is very mindful of immigrants so uh, we have to handicap uh, people in the slum uh, he is god our father that's the reason james 127 says religion that god our father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted from the world so the third test that he gives us to keep oneself from being polluted by the world um you know it is it's the kind of world view we have uh, we have to be very careful uh, but in this particular case uh, james is not 
telling us the entire world view. Uh, what he has in his mind is, if you read the scriptures carefully, uh, we can say to some extent, what he has in his mind is primarily economic exploitation and indifference. He is talking about that. See, the worldview is a big subject. And uh, James is not talking about the entire worldview in this verse. But what he wants to address, one aspect of the worldview is the economic exploitation and indifference. The reason why I say is, in 127, he says that to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And when we come to chapter 2, he says in verse 1, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. And then he goes on to talks about, suppose a man comes into your meeting uh, wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes. So he's talking about that kind of an economic exploitation uh, and indifference. Uh, so he's talking about that. Don't allow yourself to be polluted by the world. Let not your identity come from money. Uh, don't look at people. Uh, you know, they're poor, rich. Don't differentiate them like that. It can happen in the church. Basically, he's writing to the believers, to the community of believers. So he says, don't do that. Uh, that's what he's telling from being polluted by the world. Once we have been accepted the work, the atoning work of our Lord Jesus Christ, all of us are equal. We need to be kind. We need to be generous. So that's what he says about the worldview. Do not allow yourself to be polluted by the world. Keep yourself spotless uh, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, these are the points he's going to explain in the rest of the chapter. In the chapter, basically chapter two, we have finished chapter one. Chapter two is going to talk about our attitude to the poor. And in chapter three, he's going to talk about our use of the tongue. The entire chapter is going to talk. And chapter four, he will talk about what it means to think worldly and behave worldly. Uh, what he has uh, emphasized in this chapter is accept and obey the word God has for us. Accept and obey the word. And when you do that, you will enjoy freedom. That is the way of freedom and blessing. Now, I'm asking a question. I'm sure it will bless all of us if you can answer that. Have you experienced obedience leading to blessing and freedom in your own life? Uh, we are not interested in getting into the details, nitty-gritty details of your personal life, but you realize that there was a stage I started obeying and it not only it has blessed me, it has also given uh, freedom in, in life. Uh, 